You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. Look at this session three. We are calling this Leave and Cleave. We're going, we're going through the book of uh, Genesis, chapter one through three, talking about building a stronger message. And we're going to talk about this uh, uh, Old Testament phrase that is uh, primarily was in the KJV. I, I memorized it as a young Baptist boy about leave and cleave, and I didn't know what cleave was, but it sounded good because it rhymed, I suppose. But we're going to talk about what that means in a marriage relationship and uh, what that looks like. And a marriage cannot work, folks, if you're not aware of this, if someone or someones have a higher priority than the spouse. Does that make sense? Just starting out, out the gate, that a, spouse, a marriage cannot work if someone or someones have a higher priority than the spouse. There must be a thorough yet healthy leaving of one's initial family and a complete and eager cleaving of one's unique spouse. There has to be some type of vision there, and that's what we're going to talk about um, tonight and looking at this passage of Scripture. This comes from Genesis chapter 2. Let's look at verse 23. When Adam first meets Eve... It says, the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then here comes the verse. Therefore, a man shall, what? Leave his father and his mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife and they shall become one. Now, let me ask you a question. When Adam says a man shall leave his father and his mother, who was he talking about? (laughs) Because Adam didn't have one, right? Okay, Adam didn't have a dad and mom. He's like, I'm going to get my own place in the garden, folks, right? There was no one, right? Um, so who was Adam talking about? Well, he's talking about us. That every marriage subsequent to that, there was going to be this need to leave and cleave. This ability to walk away from one thing and walk into something else and what that looks like. And I'll just tell you this. Extremes on every situation, this can be bad and dangerous, okay? Um, so I was uh, had a wedding here this weekend. It was great, and somebody asked me, they said, how many weddings have you done? And I said, you know, the, one of my regrets I have is I haven't kept track of it every time. But I think I've probably done 70 to 80 weddings or so since I, I've been a pastor. Um, and sometimes from time to time I'll look down my list, see how good my percentage is still going of those that are still together. Just, you know, curious, right, of those that are, that are still hanging in there and whatnot. Um, and, and, and so, but yet, uh, I, I can't think through that a lot of times I've had some unique situations, but one of the most unique situations I had, typically I'll spend a few times with a bride and groom getting ready to, and doing premarital counseling, right? And we'll talk through certain issues and whatnot. Um, and sometimes I will have a parent of either the bride or the groom call me during that time of premarital counseling and said, I don't know what you're telling them, but you need to tell them this as well. Oh, Really? Uh, you need to tell them that the way they need to do the wedding ceremony is this, and they need to invite my friends and make sure I blew to this or whatever. And there are many times where I will say, this is not your wedding, ma'am. <laughs> this is not your place, sir. Um, and one time I got so someone so enraged, she began to tell me how expensive her house was, how much money she had in savings account, and if I did not do what she asked me to do at this wedding ceremony, I would not get a dime for officiating that wedding. And I said, ma'am, I did not make a living coming off of weddings, okay? That is not my goal in life. And I said, and so you can take your money and you can keep it because I don't need a dime of it. I said, but I will say this. You're going to lose your son if you don't treat this well. 
I know that you're trying to keep him close, but let me just tell you, the exact opposite is happening right now. As you are trying to keep your hold on it, guess what? You're going to lose him even more. And she yelled at me, and then she hung up, and then she avoided me like the plague at the wedding day, okay? And I say that this is something that you may or may not have had an extreme situation like that, but this is important. So let's look at starting out with what the leave is and what I would call the moving out. Some of you are like, well, I've moved out a long time ago. It's more than physical, folks, okay? There are people that can be in other states, physically speaking, but emotionally, mentally still connected so much to that old family, right, that it's hard to break and to know what to do here. So here's what we need to know. First and foremost, God's call to leave one's family is more than a physical separation. It is a transfer of ultimate allegiance, okay? Uh, Most likely in a leaving situation, when someone gets married, there is a moving out, a physical moving out, but ultimately there is more of this transfer of who is ultimately responsible, who you're ultimately allegiant to, who are you coming together as one. I always laugh with my mother-in-law that, um, you know, I feel like my wedding day was just a blur. I don't know if anybody else has felt the way. I just felt like everything was such a blur. But I can remember one thing very, very clear. I can remember that at the end of the reception, um, I, we're going and getting our bags, and we're getting ready to go out to the car, and I, I think we had bubbles and all that kind of stuff going, and I had my old a hunter green Chevy Blazer out there underneath the car that my groomsmen had put all kinds of horrible stuff upon, and uh, and I remember that we get in the car uh, and I open, I go over there and I open up the door for my newly bride to get in there, and she's waving at everybody, and then all of a sudden I look over and I see my mother-in-law, and she's like going, <laughs> and she starts sniffing a little bit, and then it just turns into a sob. I'm like, oh no, oh no, and then I look at my wife, and she looks at her mom, and she starts crying. I'm going. Well, there goes the honeymoon, everybody. Okay, like I was just like so, fr- I was like frustrated at the moment. I'm like, what is it? We get in the car and we start driving off. And she said, it just hit me. I'm leaving tonight. I'm never going back there. I'm like, I know. Isn't that awesome? It's like what I'm thinking, right? Isn't that great? You're with me now. You know, you get all of this. And she's like, I know. And that's why I'm crying, right? And I feel like there's this, there's this moment, right, that, that is definitely something so significant that there is this, okay, I'm moving from this home and I'm moving into this home. And, and now when I say us or I say our home or our family, it means something different now, or at least it should, right? And so this transfer of ultimate allegiance, what I mean by this is to leave one thing. It doesn't mean to disrespect it, but it just means that something has to change in the way that you think, act, and even talk about your relationship. Without a clear and thorough shift in priorities, a marriage will never experience true intimacy. If you don't have some type of shift from one family to the next, you'll never experience the true intimacy that God wants you to have. So once again, I know there's some people who go, this is way beyond, like, I just didn't get married yesterday, Travis. I'm saying, I am telling you, there are still people who've been married for four decades that have not left yet. They are still more committed to that family than they are this family. And you go, wow, that sounds like they're at odds with each other. Sometimes they are. And so it's not disrespecting one because, honestly, what's, what's amazing about Scripture is out of the top ten commands, guess what we have as number five? Honoring parents. Honoring parents. So there are, out of the ten commandments, there are 
four commandments that are about us and God and six commandments about us and each other. And before murder, before adultery, before stealing, before lying, before coveting, you know what is put there? Honor your father and mother. And the first person who ever received that commandment, guess how old he was? 80 years old. First man who ever received that word, honor your father and mother, was an 80-year-old man. And I believe this, God still wanted him to obey it. This is not the preschool command, folks. This is not for the 18 and under command. This is for every age to honor parents. So this is what is first mentioned in Exodus chapter 20. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 16, it's repeated before they go into the promised land where it says, Honor your father and what? Your mother. It's both and, folks. Uh, every parent in this room, part of the job in learning how to honor both a father and mother, both male and female, is getting them ready to live in society and not be a burden on anyone else. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long. Okay, what is that saying? Anybody here have a parent who said, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it too, right, okay? I do think that there's some kind of points going, you want to live long? You better honor your mama, okay? You better do that or else, right? Uh, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Now, is this saying some type of physical safety in some type of way? Maybe, but I think ultimately this is the ideal scenario. You ready for this? A godly father and a godly mother teaching godly principles to children and saying you want to live God's best in your life. When you honor them and listen to what they say, you are honoring God and listening to what he says. And guess what? When you obey his principles, your chance at survival are a lot better than not obeying them. We disobey and rebel against God. We are asking for more issues to come about in our life. So with this, there is a chance for us to be able to honor our father and our mother, to be able to go back through that. Now, let me go back for a second. If you look up at the top, Genesis chapter 2 again, that little section there. When it says, verse 24, um, and I'm going to pull it up here on the screen just so you can see it. You see, therefore, uh, it says a certain type of person shall leave father and mother. What does it say, therefore, a man? It does not say, therefore, a boy. Right? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Why is that important? Because there are too many people getting married that still act like boys and girls rather than men and women. And I think the job of parents is to one day point and direct their children so that there is a uh, the crossing of a rite of passage, so to speak. There is a confirmation from a parent. Uh, any of you ever seen the movie Courageous? Uh, if, you, if you have a beautiful scene in there with a group of fathers sitting around the table, and they say, when did you know you became a man? And they're going, I don't know. And everybody's like, coming out, I guess when I did this, or I guess when I did that. And one guy said, I became a man when my father told me I was one. He said, you know the ways to live. You followed you know, all the past. I now see you as a man. You're no longer a boy. I, I affirm you as a man. And that's something that just seems like foreign language to many of us, right? But, but I pull this out in the midst of this honoring your father and mother because this is so very important that the goal of parenting is that we produce people that we could say that is now a man of God or a woman of God. And so not only are they able to get financial independence, but they're spiritually independent. They're, they're good to go. Does that make sense? 
I am launching out, not a boy, I'm launching out a man. I'm launching out not a girl, but a woman. This is someone that I've raised to be able to walk with the Lord. So this is why, if that's happening in the ideal situation, we have this honoring that should take place. That you go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You can enjoy all the things that's happened. So God calls you to honor your parents regardless of your age or situation, folks. Regardless of what your age is, regardless of what your situation is, you have the right and the privilege to honor your parents regardless of it. Um, many of you in this room know there is a different level of uh, adulthood and life when all of a sudden you have to start parenting your parents, right? Some of you been there? Uh, the one who has cared for you, now you have to start caring for them. That's a different place to be uh, in life. And some people say how, how stressful it is. And within this, I believe that there is a call to honor your parents, regardless of your age, regardless of your situation. So I would even say this, that um, for many people in this room, you might have a hard time honoring the person of your parent. You can always honor the position of your parent. You could say that God has given me this person, and I'm going to honor them. Even if I don't trust everything, if I don't respect the personality, I'm still going to honor them. And so that means in all kinds of ways caring for them. As I mentioned today in the sermon, 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul says this, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's shocking language there, folks. <laughs> If you can't take care of your relatives, provide for them financially, if you're not able to take care of the members of your household, you're denying the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. So to do this means that all of us at some level may have the time in our life where we have to start honoring our parents and taking care of them in different ways. So I, I say that to remind you that God does not expect you to abandon your parents, but he does expect you to reprioritize their position in your life. So God would not call you to honor your parents if later when he said get married means be rude to them, okay? Abandon them. There is a change that has to take place, but this doesn't mean being rude. This doesn't mean being arrogant. This doesn't mean uh, forsaking them or abandoning them. That's not what God's calling the, us to do. There has to be a difference here. There has to be a difference here. So to honor parents is important, but also I'll say this, demystifying parents, Okay? To go through and demystify, and, and what I mean by that is, um, I think all of us have this kind of version of our parents, right or wrong and different. We just kind of have this kind of um, mentality of them. And when you get married, you also have this version in your mind of what your spouse's parents are, right? Okay? Um, and so, so to become united with your spouse, you cannot retain any unhealthy perspectives of your parents or your spouse's parents. You have to really be very careful here that you don't find yourself holding up any type of unhealthy perspectives where somehow of your parents, your spouse's parents, in-laws, outlaws, whatever you may call them, okay, you don't need to have unhealthy uh, perspectives of them. So to demystify them means that you have to, to learn this, and it's very important, but don't idolize your parents or demonize your in-laws, okay? Don't idolize your parents or demonize your in-laws, I guess I could also say the reverse. Don't idolize your in-laws or demonize your parents, okay? Whichever way it works. But it can be very easy a lot of times. Let me tell you where a lot of marriage um, conflict can come up, year one or year 40, because I've talked with people in all kinds of different situations. If you idolize your parents, if you think they've always done everything right, 
guess what happens? You assume that you're going to take their example and you're going to force it into your marriage. And what happens if your idea of marriage is different than your spouse's idea of marriage? The way that your parents did marriage and the way that your spouse's parents did marriage, you might have a problem. Let me give you an example of of how this can work because you have to really think through the importance of it. And the way you do that, if you turn the page over, is evaluating parents. So even if you aren't aware of it, you have brought baggage of your parents' examples into your marriage. Okay? You brought baggage into the marriage based on your parents' example. So you have certain things that you assume to be reality that you think is the best case whether or not you actually realize it. There are certain things that you've just walked into with baggage from it. Um, So one of the things that I typically do with a couple, especially if they're doing premarital counseling, is I will say, tell me about your parents' marriage. If they go, what marriage? (laughs) I grew up with a single parent. Tell me about that. What did you learn from that, okay? Because if, if you're not careful, we'll walk away from these moments not really learning anything from it. It is important to evaluate from the examples before you regarding what you want to repeat and what you want to reject in your own marriage. It's so important to do this exercise for premarital couples or for couples even right now that have been married for a long time. But there is certain baggage that you bring into it that you automatically assume these are things that I want to repeat And these are things that I want to reject. Let me give you a great example of how this works. So uh, premarital counseling, I'll sit down and I'll talk with a couple and I'll say, all right, I'm going to give you guys some homework for next time we get together. All right, what's the homework? I want you to go back and I want you to think about your parents' marriage or the marriage that you saw most growing up. And I want you to think of one thing you want to repeat from their example and one thing you want to reject from their example. And I want you to come back and I want us to talk about it next time. Okay? Easy exercise. And typically what happens is um, they'll go, well, you know, I mean, my parents had a pretty good marriage, but there's just one thing. And, and, and regardless of what it is, there's always something they go, oh, this kind of was uneasy. I'll never forget sitting down and talking with a couple that one time someone that um, the bride said to me, well, you know one thing I want to repeat from my parents' marriage? You know... If I look back to my childhood, like, my mom was just kind of the leader, and she always kind of decided where we were going to go and how we were going to spend the money and what needed to happen. And my dad just kind of sat there quiet and funded the whole thing. And I just think it worked really well in our house, and I guess that would probably be the best case for us to do as well. I said, interesting. What about you? He goes, I'll give you one I want to reject. And it was that situation. I watched my mother completely degrade my dad in front of us. He was dumb. He couldn't get anything together. And if it wasn't for her as the glue of this family, this family would have fallen apart a long time ago. And I can't think of a marriage that I would want to be where in any type of way that I feel like I can't even speak my mind in it. And I said, kids, we got a problem. Where's the balance here, right? So they had this idea of what should happen that I've seen this and I think this is good and I'm seeing this, I'm going, "I I think it's bad. And a lot of times we can walk into it And it's a very, very unique situation. Um, I've seen people walk into marriage and say, I think my parents did their own thing, and I think that was pretty good. And some people say, I think they did too much of their own thing, and that ended up being bad. And to talk through, what did you learn from your parents' marriage? So as this leaving aspect, what can you learn from it? Uh, Folks, you do realize this. You can even learn from a bad example, right? I hope you can. If you go, I didn't have this great example. Okay, what, do you, what did you need to learn from it? What was it that you thought you should have 
didn't have, and if you have the chance or the opportunity to change this thing, what would you do differently? So for you who say, you know what? I never felt like, uh, this is a common story that I'll hear. Um, I felt like my parents did a great job raising us, and they invested all the time, all the energy, all the affection into us, and we just felt love. But as soon as we left home, marriage was over. Why? They, for, they were business partners. They'd forgotten each other, right? So I would say, now learn from that. What does that mean? You know how you learn from that? At some point, a couple says, you know what you might need to prioritize? Time together, even when these tiny humans start coming around, right? We're going to have date nights. We're going to spend time together. We're actually going to have conversations that don't involve them sometimes. And so you learn from these lessons, even if they're painful, even if they were not good. So that's the leaving aspect. Let's talk about the cleaving aspect. This is the, the moving in, and this is more than just I'm moving into this house. It's that we are into a relationship where we truly know each other. Marriage is meant to provide a type of spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical glue that no other relationship should rival. There should be some type of this, I don't know why your handout looks like that, but anyway, this glue is sticking together, okay? <laughs> Marriage is meant to provide a type of spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical glue that no other relationship should rival, right? Um, marriage... All right, think about it this way. How could a marriage be a spiritual glue? How, how could a marriage, when they say spiritually, let's come together. So when, 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 two fam, when, when two people come together in marriage and they say, we want to follow God together, it brings this type of unity that should be there. Adam and Eve started out with that. They lost it in the moment where they started listening to each other above God. But there should be this spiritual type of glue. There should be this emotional type of glue that happens that when you have your bad days, hopefully someone is having a good day and you can be real and you can be raw. You can be authentic with one another. It's this type of mental glue to help you think through some stuff. How many of you have ever had a major decision and you're thankful you didn't have to make it on your own? You bounce it off somebody and you say, I, I trust this person. We can talk through it. And even this physical glue, I'm not alone in this world, so I don't have to be scared, I don't have to be isolated, but there is someone near me. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 says it this way, two are better than one. Some of you go, I don't know about that. I'm an introvert, I like to be isolated, okay? Two are better than one, here's why. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will what? Lift up, lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. This picture obviously can be about any type of relationship, but folks, I cannot think of a better application than that of marriage. That what is supposed to happen is that there is two is better than one, that if they fall, one will lift up that person. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and doesn't have anyone to lift him up. Um, I, I can think through the, um, I may have shared this story with you guys before, but Years ago, um, I had um, broken my ankle in a game of church basketball because, you know, church league basketball can be kind of rough out there. Um, had somebody, uh, uh, I, I rolled my ankle on top, and there was a doctor playing with us. And he said, can you walk on it? I'm like, I can walk on it. He said, well, just keep walking. I said, okay, good. And then the next morning, it, it snowed all day. And so I went outside and played with my boys, building snowmen. Didn't realize I was icing it all day, but it was way broken, way broken. I was like, it doesn't hurt because I was literally icing it all day. Finally, I took a picture of it. Somebody, and they're like, you need to go to the doctor right now. That thing is completely broken. So uh, I, I had to wear the boot for a while and all that kind of fun stuff. And so it's funny. When I, I was leading worship, 
and I'd have to go out of my crutches, go sit on a stool, somebody give me my guitar, and, and I would lead worship like that or whatever. And so it was obviously, an, it was an obvious, uh, blatant thing that everybody could see that I was struggling with. The week that I got my boot off, Amanda fell off our front porch and sprained her ankle and had to wear a boot as well. And everybody thought it was a joke. Because they came to church like, oh, yeah, 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 you got off your boot, you give it to her. We're like, no, this literally happened. There's a transfer of such. And I'll, I'll just say this, that it was kind of funny, right, is that when, when she when she fell and, and, and sprained her ankle, that she's down there. And, and I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but when there's such a sharp pain, you almost feel like you're going to get sick on your stomach. Like she just felt that. She's like, oh, just give me a second, give me a second. But then she was at the place where she needed somebody there. She couldn't get up on her own. She needed somebody to say, you're, you're not going to be stuck there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you up and get you to help. And, and that's a picture of what marriage ought to be for each of us. As this, this cleaving, this, this moving in, this type of intimacy is this. When you fall physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, you're not going to stay down. Why? I'm going to help you up. Now, let me tell you what can, unfortunately, happen in marriage. Someone falls, and then the spouse goes, what are you doing down there? Get up. Oh, that doesn't hurt. I had worse than that. You rub some dirt on it. Okay, right? Like, we can almost have this mentality of just, just deal with it. Get over it. There are many, many marriages. Life hits. It's hard. Someone falls, and a spouse kicks the spouse when the spouse is down. Right? So you said, okay, just kick them while they're down. Right? Okay. That unfortunately, sometimes this can happen. Instead of what's supposed to take place, this glue that's supposed to happen. If you're down, I'm going to help you up. And I will tell you that one of the best ways to make sure that you know that is if you're going to have this cleaving aspect. What that word really implies is reprioritizing relationships. So if you fail to transition the relational priority to your spouse and instead maintain it on your initial family, your marriage will experience significant trouble. There is no way around this. It does not mean abandon your parents. It does not mean ignore your siblings. It does not mean disregard the home in which you grew up in and have fond memories. But it means this, that if you do not transition the relational priority to your spouse, and you keep thinking things of that initial family, you will never experience the type of intimacy that you need. Um, I can even remember the first couple of years of our marriage that it would be funny to me at how it would hit me funny. And we would drive by the neighborhood that Amanda would grow up in, and she's like, oh, look what they've done to my house. And I'm like, that's not your house. Your house is with me, okay? Like, you know, and she would say, you know, when my family grew up there, I'm like, no, 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 that was your family. I am your present tense family right now, right? And we would joke about that, but, and, and, but yet there, there is something to say, how do you not walk away, and it's not you're disregarding what you were brought up in, but also to say priorities here. Because let me tell you where relational conflict happens, right? Typically, at your family gatherings, Someone in your family, your parent, your sibling, your child or something, if they know uh, which one of you in your marriage is the soft one, they will wait for the hard-nosed one to leave the room before asking a very awkward question, right? Anybody been there before? Okay. Where all of a sudden you're there together, and then all of a sudden somebody gets up and they go, hey, real quick, can I ask you a question? And they waited till that person left the room. Why? Because they know united, I can't really drive a wedge there, but now that person's out, now let, let me ask this kind of question. 
and what can take place sometimes. Um, let me tell you where a lot of marriages have gone south. A parent of a grown couple says, I really wish y'all would do this kind of stuff. Is your spouse the one not wanting you to do that? And the person goes, I would do it, but he just doesn't want to. That's all it takes. Right there. That wedge drawn right there. And now it's not oneness, right? It's two separate people, and I'm not to drive a wedge there, and they know how to get things done. Just wait for you to leave the room the next time, right? And so there were, uh, even in, in, in joke, joking, like if I think back to even our preparing for the wedding, my darling fiancé asked me questions I didn't even know were questions, you know? Hey, what kind of stuff you want? I'm like, I didn't even know that was a thing. We got a thing. I didn't know. Like, you know, I didn't even know a wedding director was a thing. And, you know, I can even remember at the, at the end of our wedding, she goes, what did you think about the flowers? I said, there were flowers, so I didn't see them. Like, I really, I didn't notice them. I just kind of was locked onto you. I'm sorry. I didn't see anything else going on there. But there were, she would ask me certain questions, and, and I just, I wouldn't see certain things and, and wouldn't be aware of it. But I can remember that sometimes, if it was just by myself, somebody from her family or my family would say, Travis, do you care if we do this or do that at the wedding? My answer is no. I could not care at all. I've never even thought about it. Whatever y'all want to do, that ain't a good response. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? That was not a good response. I learned very quickly in those months leading up. But you know what's happening? Was this inability for me to say, this is what we're going to do here. Even in the engagement, even in the marriage, it's not, well, I'd be okay with that, but you know, my wife, she's kind of cuckoo. You know, I, I just, we just got to go along with what she wants because what that does is that provides ammo to that family member to drive a wedge between us from here on out. And so, even if, I'll be straight with you, whether it's my parents, my in laws, or my kids, if they said, hey, Amanda said this, what do you think? Even if I think it's crazy, I go, yep, I'm with her. Even if I think it's crazy, even if I think it's absolutely, and there's been some times my kids will say, mom says we can't do that. I'm going, that sounds harsh. They go, what do you think? She's exactly right. You ask me again, I'm going to give you double. You know, I'm just like, I mean, whatever it is, even if I think it's, it's beyond it. Why? To have oneness, you can't let anybody divide and conquer. You can't. And so you have to make sure that you're keeping this especially your relationship in a um, very secure place. So this is how I think you can literally flesh this out. Your decisions as a couple must be communicated as singular directions and protect against outside division. This is what we want to do. This is what we've decided to do. What do you think about it? I'm sorry, I'll repeat again. This is what we have decided to do. Was this something your wife wants to do? No, 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 I love it. I'm all about it. I have no idea what it is, but it sounds good to me. If she says it, I am in. I am ready for it. Whether it's my parents, whether it's my kids, there is not going to be anybody who's going to come in and divide what God has put together. Jesus said it this way, what therefore God has put together, let what? Nothing separate. Parents, kids, you name it. So you start going, not like she wants this or he wants that. No, this is what we want to do. It's reprioritizing the relationship. You begin to start achieving authenticity in your relationship. And, and what can happen when you reprioritize relationships and you put people in their uh, rightful category, your spouse at the forefront, the ability to be fully known and fully loved provides a safe environment like none other, folks. Right? 
to say, here's who I am, and you don't run off, that's a pretty good sign, okay? I think that everybody, if they've ever been in a truly growing, healthy marriage relationship, knows there's some point in your marriage relationship where someone says, I can't believe you have to see me in this place, and yet you still love me. See me on my worst days. See me on my best days. Probably been a lot more worse than good days, but you see me there, and you're still around, right? It's one of the most... uh, Neat things about wedding that I got to do yesterday. Um, I was talking to the couple about how they met, and as they were dating, uh, the girl asked the guy and says, "Well, you know, you know, ask like what what's your um, intentions here? You know, what are you thinking? Where's this going?" And his response was, "I'm not going anywhere. Just so you know, I'm not going anywhere." And I think deep down, that's what every single person wants to hear for life. No matter what happens, I'm not going anywhere. I'm I'm going to be here for you deep down. I'm going to be here. So to be able to be fully known, to know what's going on, and be fully loved, it provides this type of intimacy environment like none other. And true intimacy within marriage is when no one shares any connection deeper than the spouse. True intimacy within marriage is when no one shares any connection deeper than the spouse. Now, folks, any way you can think through this, this needs to be applied. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, no one is closer than your spouse. Yeah, but I just really connect with this person over here, and so we just connect. No one closer than your spouse. I talked with someone before who said, uh, this, this guy that I knew, um, him and his wife been married, I don't know, probably 10 years or so, and said, yeah, you know, we get in arguments from time to time. And when I can't get her calmed down, I just send her to go talk to him. And he, he mentions this name of somebody else. And I went, come again? She goes, well, I can't get her to calm down. And, you know, she gets all whatever. They just see each other eye to eye. And they just really, you know, they, they've been friends for a long time. So I go, if, if we can't see eye to eye, I go, you just go talk to him and you'll get better. Fellas, y'all want to do that? <laughs> Far my ear lady to anybody else. Um, it was shocking and not surprising years later to find out there was an inappropriate relationship that happened between that guy and that girl, but that guy did with somebody else. Because he kind of made a way to say, hey, we can connect on an emotional level, relational level. I'll be your friend. I can be your confidant. You can trust me. And it led to all kinds of things. And I say that there should be nobody that has any type of access to you greater than your spouse. doesn't mean you don't have friends. It doesn't mean you don't have hobbies. It doesn't mean you don't share stuff with your family. But, folks, if your parents know something before your spouse does, red flag. If your kids know something before your spouse does, red flag. If your friend knows something before your spouse does, red flag. Anybody has access to anything else, especially this. If you're arguing with your spouse or you're upset with your spouse and somebody else knows that before your spouse does, you got problem. You got a big problem brewing. Um, Someone told me one time, he says, Travis, it must be easy in your marriage relationship because you and Amanda never fight. I said, you're not around our house. They go, well, you don't ever talk about it. And I said, and why would I? Why, why would I? You're, if, if I have a problem with my spouse, she'll be the first one to know. And only in the rarest of occasions would anybody else need to know about it. And if they know about it, it's going to be somebody who's not biased to me or her. It's going to be somebody who loves Jesus and loves marriage and going to get us on the right path. Nobody else needs to know. Because the moment that you start doing this, you go to work, 
say, yeah, just things at home aren't good right now. Why is that? You know, my wife, the whole ball and chain, she's always complaining about something. You know what happens, fellas, when you start doing that? Every other guy's going to say, me too. Man, all these women are crazy. And you feel really good. All of us are, are just you know, married to these women. And you read Proverbs, it says it's better to sit on the corner of a roof than live in a house with a quarrelsome wife. And you go, that's right. All these women are crazy. And you all feel better about yourself because you're not the problem. And women get together and they start talking about, oh, my husband, I tell you this, I just can't believe blah, blah, blah. I just feel like I'm married to a baboon. And I'm going, we're all married to baboons. They can't do anything. They smell awful. They're horrible people. And they just feel better because the men are the problem and the women are just never the issue, right? You can find the type of people that are always going to see your side. Always. First year of marriage, Amanda was a public school teacher. And she said, I am getting so tired of the lunchroom discussions because every other lady that I work with is just degrading their husband and talking about how horrible they are. And the and they'll say, what about you, Amanda? And she's like, I think I got a pretty good one. Go, ah, you're just still newlywed and you just wait. You're going to hate him soon. That's the mentality they had. And, and what that provides is when you complain about your spouse to other people, guess what doesn't get fixed? Your marriage. You might feel better, but the conflict's not helped. You're not growing more intimate together. So at any point, there's no connection, no connection that can be somewhat deeper than the spouse. And so to do that, ensure you have to build boundaries around this. To build some boundaries to make sure there's no one else that, that moves into this intimacy to continue this. So in order to protect the oneness God intended within the marriage, you must learn to be proactive in building boundaries rather than reactive to others' expectations. This is about as practical as I can make this, folks. If you spend your entire life reacting to the way that your family and friends want you to live your life, you will go crazy. So you know what's a lot better to do? Is that if you can somehow get ahead of the game, and before your family asks you what you want to do, you've already got the answer of what you have decided to do. Because the moment when you're behind the ball and you get isolated and they start asking questions, this, this wedge is put there. So in order to protect it, you must learn to be proactive in building boundaries rather than reactive to others' expectations. You have to make sure that in every kind of context, and then you must protect your marriage from good relationships, right, in unhealthy positions. You must learn how to protect your marriage from good relationships in unhealthy positions. And, and let me talk through with this um if you cannot um let's even let's even think about the the idea of honoring the lord with our wealth and, and in a, a couple of weeks we're going to be looking at proverbs chapter six which really talks about not being a sluggard and not putting up for somebody else and there's a lot of people who have a lot of hardship in their marriage relationship because of not being able to completely be independent from their parents or refusing to offer independence to their children, okay? And I know that in this room, we've all experienced that at some different level, and I know there's complexities and there's things to think through. But I am just saying that at some point, you have to take good relationships like your parents, good relationships like your siblings, good relationships like your children and friends, and say, nobody gets prior position. So... For anybody here who's married and you have parents or in-laws who have opinions about how you need to do your life, uh, raise your family, do your finances, let me give you an encouragement here. Let me tell you what won't work. 
What won't work is you listening to everything your parent says and acting like you're still a six-year-old who doesn't know how to do anything. That won't work. Let me tell you what also won't work. Yelling at them and disrespecting them every time they offer you some type of advice. You know how healthy approach is? Even if they say something crazy and off the wall and you think, have you not heard me when we've talked about this a thousand times before? You know what you say? I'm so thankful that you care about me and my, my spouse, my family so much that you'd offer that encouragement. There's a lot of people who wish they had that. But we've already made this decision that we're going to do that. Thank you so much. Please pray for us as we go forward. Yeah, but I don't know. It means so much to me that we have parents who care for us the way that you do. And I know that you will pray for us because we've already made the decision that we're going to, but how do you know? It means so much. You're so passionate. Thank you so much for the way that you care for us. But we have decided, and now what we need for you to do is to pray for us because we made this decision. And you've raised us so well that we're able to make decisions like this. Happens with parents. Folks, you can't let your siblings get in the way. Comparison, um, competition, Moving the way that you think through your family. Well, I, my sister's doing this. My brother's doing that. We need No, you don't. Um, folks, the children in your house, to the children that are empty nesters, they know if one of you is soft and one of you is hard. They know who to go to if they want to get around something or get out of some kind of situation. And they also will know that there is a some type of a game or not a tactic downright to divide and conquer. And I'm telling you this, one of the greatest gifts you will ever give your children is this, telling them nobody separates me and your mama or me and your dad. Nobody does. Because not only is that healthy for them, guess what that gives them an example of? A healthy marriage that maybe one day they can have. So even these kids, um, we had the conversation just yesterday talking about, and it was funny because Amanda, I heard her telling our daughter, we love you, and we'll give anything you need to in this life up to a certain point. But one day, you are moving out. You're going to be out one day, and you're going to find your own place, and you're going to find your own family, and we're going to support you, and we're going to love you, and nothing of that's going to change. But there is a day where we're going to celebrate your independence, and we're going to miss you. But this is the day, because guess what? It's not one day a boy will leave his father and mother or a girl will leave his father and mother. It's a man. It's a woman. We are creating you, growing you up to be independent. This is what you need to be for your own good and for that. And also, just as a reminder, you need to protect your marriage from your friendships. If you don't have time to spend with your spouse, but yet you have time all the time to be with your friends, that shows a problem in priorities. If you can go out with the guys, go out with the girls, but you can't make time to continue to date your spouse, there is a problem. Carve it out. Make sure, because if you don't put on the calendar, somebody else will put something else on your calendar. Make sure you prioritize that time. Even this week, some of the guys in our gospel group said, we just, man, I feel like it's been a while since I've just prioritized dating. And we figure out a way to do all this kind of stuff, but man, we just need time to get connected. And I'm saying, if you don't put it on the calendar, something else will go on there. Make sure you continue to do what this scripture, I believe, is teaching us about what does it mean to leave one thing, still respect it, still love it, still honor it, still cherish it, but also to cleave into something else that God has called us together. So let's pray. We just say, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the words of Genesis chapter 2 that says that a man, a grown man, a mature man, will leave his parents, will cleave, come together as one to his spouse. And they're not a duo, 
not a partner, not a team. They are one. They're, they're, you can't divide something that it's one. You can't break it up. There is a unique intimacy that's there. And so anything that threatens that oneness, even if it's a good thing, has to be addressed. Or else it robs us of what the kind of marriage that you call us to be. So Lord, I pray for every person here, regardless of their situation, would you allow this word to penetrate into our souls and to make sure that we're applying and walking after you in spirit and in truth. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.